0: Would you play this year under the current set of circumstances with the pandemic?
1: As much as I'd love to play, I would probably sit here and say that I would want to play, but probably opt out. To be honest with you, right now.
0: Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is World Series champion and first ballot Hall of Famer Chipper Jones. Presented by GEICO. Today's guest spent his 19-year career with the Atlanta Braves, helping them win an extraordinary 14 consecutive division titles and a World Series championship in his rookie season. That would be 1995. He won a National League MVP award and a batting title and is the only switch hitter to combine a career batting average of 300 or better with more than 400 home runs. You probably hit 399 of them against my New York Mets, by the way. So it is my pleasure to welcome in first ballot Hall of Famer, the great Chipper Jones. Larry, how are you
1: doing? How's it going? I'm doing fine, boom. I'm doing really good. It's been a while since somebody called me Larry. So it's, it's, I must be talking to somebody from New York.
0: That's exactly right. And I'll tell you what, you just absolutely raked us over the calls. Here's the interesting thing about you. Your your dad was your coach and your dad, I guess, was a Mickey Mantle fan. And he loved the fact that Mickey Mantle was a switch hitter. So he wanted to make you into a switcher. I love playing baseball. My dad always said, just be a lefty. So I never went to the other side of the plate. I could never do it. I'm am a I'm a hardcore lefty. I guess now when you look back on it, that was probably one of the greatest impacts your dad ever had on you.
1: uh, the most important decision of, of my career. Can you imagine standing 60 feet, six inches away from six foot 10, Randy Johnson, throwing from the side down here and having that slider start behind you, how unnerving that would be, you know, but from the right side, You know, all those breaking balls now, they're coming into you.
0: Also, I don't know if people know this, but you were a great football player in high school as well. Was there any chance that you could have been a wide receiver, say, at Florida, FSU, or Miami? Uh,
1: I actually signed with Miami to uh, play baseball, and they offered me the opportunity to go down there and play both. So I graduated in 1990. As you well know, Miami had a pretty good football team back, you know, in the the late '80s and early '90s. I was really fast. I had a good set of hands, and um, I think eventually, with my frame, had I gone on to the next level, it probably. They probably would have tried to put some weight on me and move me to the tight end spot. I had some knee injuries pretty early on in my career that would have hindered my ability to probably play a wide
0: receiver. Oh, certainly you made the right decision. There's no question about that. Atlanta manager Bobby Cox said of Chipper Jones, he was damn near finished product since day one. And yes, you were, Chipper. Now, I know you were supposed to come up in 1994. You had a knee injury and you came up in 1995, you said that only two coaches made a difference in your swing, Dad and Don Baylor. So what what did Don Baylor tell you?
1: Don Baylor was more of a, a switch in mentality. I had taken so many swings left-handed that that had become you know, my natural side. And I had gotten a little tentative uh, from the right side. And early on in my career, managers, especially in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings, would turn me around to my weaker side, which was my right side, even though it was my my natural side, what I grew up doing. But I, I got so tentative because they would turn me around in those big spots. And I never really had the aggression of trying to do ultimate damage by hitting the ball out of the ballpark from the right side. I was trying to stay up the middle. I was trying to stay the other way. Well, in 1999, Don Baylor came along and He changed all that. He said, I don't care about strikeouts. You hit third and play third for the best team in the National League. People need to fear you. They fear you left handed. They don't fear you right handed. We're going to change that. And that was really the first year that I turned the corner and really became a threat from both sides.
0: That's a great story. Now, you also ran into Willie Stargell and Frank Howard as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, when you were a younger player, what did they tell you about hitting, especially when you were in a slumper or, or dealing with some struggles?
1: Each had an impact on me just by two conversations. Frank Howard was my first hitting instructor in the Braves organization, and he was instrumental in really getting my left side on par with my right side. He always used to say, every day that we were in the cage, you gotta take twice as many swings, from your weak side as you do your strong side so you can kind of keep them on par with each other with pots it was all about the bat i can remember the first time <laughs> he came up to me he picked up my bat and it was a probably a 33 inch 31 ounce bat. wow and he turns it upside down and he starts like like acting like he's using it as a toothpick you know (laughs) he goes son I picked my teeth with bigger pieces of wood than this he goes we got to get you swinging a bigger bat and from that point on he gave me a 36 inch 36 ounce bat he goes tape up the barrel he goes it'll last forever this is great wood take it home in the offseason, get used to swinging that big bat.
0: Don Baylor, Willie we Frank Howard, can't think of three better guys to help you out. Now, I know your dad was a huge fan of Mickey Mantle, and I want you to tell me the story of the time that you met Mickey Mantle uh, at a signing event and a story that you had him tell you, or you told him, and I'm sure this was a big moment for you.
1: It was. It was a huge moment and a really a one of those moments where I quite honestly got tongue-tied. I was so jacked up to meet this guy because i would heard so much about him. He's up on a pedestal, you know, as far as the Jones family is concerned. And I was in the mirror practicing how I was going to meet him the night before. How you doing, Mr. Mantle? What's up, Mick? You know, this, this, that, and the other. And when the time came the next morning, completely locked up, you know, <laughs> just nothing <laughs> came out. I finally got up enough courage to ask him. I said, Mick, does this ever get old? All the, the the love and adoration and just people fawning over you. And he said, he gave it, gave me a little chuckle. And he said, Chipper, mm-hmm. I have a recurring dream. He goes, I'm standing at the pearly gates and the gates won't open. And all of a sudden God walks up, right? And he looks me up and down for about fifteen seconds, and he says, "Mick, I'm gonna let you in." He goes, "But can you sign these dozen baseballs?" It's
0: <laughs> <laughs> a great so. story. The Atlanta Braves defeated the Cleveland Indians in the 1995 World Series. Rookie star Chipper Jones called David Justice's series-winning homer the biggest hit of all of our lives, and the victory, the biggest moment in sports history, in the state of Georgia, the city of Atlanta. And the southeast, and what a way to finish off a rookie season! What just, just tell me about what that whole rookie year was like for you?
1: Uh, it was a coming out party. To be honest with you, I, I blew out my knee in the spring training in spring training of 1994, and had the team made. I was leading the team in in average and homers and RBIs when I when I went down on uh, March 18th in Fort Lauderdale and um, having to sit back and watch the entire season, knowing that I had no control over, I was a caged beast coming out in 95. Anybody who's played a team sport and shared the field, the locker room, the skies, you know with a, a bunch of guys who were on the same page from day one had a common goal in mind and that was to be the last team standing Um, at the end of October. It doesn't get any better than that. All the individual accolades are are secondary.
0: Initially, when you started, you didn't understand what it meant to act like a brave. What does that mean?
1: That sometimes that necessary arrogance and that cocky swag kind of spilled over in places that that maybe it shouldn't have, And, and sometimes that bled over into newspaper articles and whatnot, and obviously, Things are, are taken out of context from time to time. But, yeah, I got called into the principal's office, <laughs> you know, Bobby Cox's office many times during the course of probably my first two years. And it took sit downs with Terry Pendleton and Tom Glavin and, you know, the Marquise Grissoms and David Justices of the world saying, hey, you're going to be the corner of this franchise for a long time you're heading down a road that that we don't particularly like that we don't think is going to be good for you um this is how we do things and it was just it wasn't malicious it wasn't you know condescending in any way it was more of a taking me you know you know getting me around the neck and just saying hey this is how we do things we don't raise waves here we keep our head down we come to work every day we want you to be one ninth of the equation that goes out there every single day and helps us win a ball game. And and it took me a year and a half, two years to kind of figure that out.
0: So there's a a level of immaturity. I I think that a lot of young players go through just a matter of whether or not when you realize it and Bobby Cox must've been a huge influence had to be a huge influence on everything that you were doing in life.
1: Oh, 100%. (laughs) I needed to be reined in. Um, I did not handle the, uh, the fame and the notoriety—I um, couldn't keep distractions at arm's length. Um, certainly cost me my first marriage. Not being able to, you know, keep all those distractions at, at arm's length. I was not a very good person back then, and needed to do a lot of growing up um, before I could get my life off the field, kind of in line, and have not have that bleed over into into my game. The baseball field was basically my safe haven. It was where <laughs> it was my therapy. It was my, my chance to think about things and reflect. And unfortunately it took me until I was well into my twenties to be able to juggle you know, all the, all the notoriety and all the fame with my, my off the field life and have them coincide.
0: Chipper Jones ended his career with 2,726 hits. 468 of those were home runs and the most RBIs ever for a third baseman. He was the only switch hitter to bat 300 from both sides of the plate, and he captured a batting title at the age of 36. However, he began his candid 2017 autobiography, Ball Player, by not writing about his hitting, but rather by focusing on a throwing error he made. So why did you start the book with that particular throw, and what were you trying to say with that?
1: Uh, that it's all, it's not all rainbows and glitter, <laughs> you know, I mean, um, I think that it made. listen, if you're going to write an autobiography, you have to be willing to expose, you know, some of your warts as opposed to some of your awards, you know, and I think that right away you get that I'm about to get knee deep in some stuff that y'all didn't really expect. I think that, you know, everybody expects to to open up the book and it's gonna be game six of the World Series, you know, Tom Glavin throwing a one hit shutout, David Justice hitting the homer, you know, but it's it's not always that way, you know? I mean, I feel like I let you know right off the bat that I'm gonna let you in on some things during the next three or 400 pages that are going to surprise you a little bit. And I think being that open and that honest about honestly being crushed, you know, at the end of my career, because I felt like I let my team down in its, in its moment of need. You know, I've made that play a hundred times in my life, you know, where I backhand pick a ball and throw it, you know, to second to start a double play. And for whatever reason, the ball sailed and what awful timing for the ball to (laughs) sail. I know, you know, you've had a ball sail on you, you know, over a receiver right into the arms of a safety, you know, I mean, it happens, you know, but uh, the timing couldn't have been worse. Uh, But um, Carol Rogers and I thought it was the perfect way to start the book.
0: Kind of interesting. You know, I still have nightmares about some of those poor throws and I'm sure this one (laughs) lives with you. And you actually wrote, if anybody had to commit a big error in that game, I'm glad it was me.
1: Yep. Why is that? Because there was so much hype around the end of my career. When was it going to end? You know, this was a one-game playoff. This was game seven. And, you know, coming down the last month of the season, I was honored by other teams. I was honored in Atlanta. I had baseballs with my likeness on them. I had all the bases had my likeness on them. So I'm so glad it was me because can you imagine if it had been Andrelton Simmons or Dan Ugla or Freddie Freeman that makes that error in my last game that loses it for us? I I would have felt awful. Like they would have come up to me and apologized. And I did not want that to happen. I'm glad that it was that it was me that made the 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 final mistake. Unfortunately, like I said earlier,
0: just horrible timing. <laughs> Chipper Jones was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2017, earning more than 97% of the vote. His parents were sitting proudly in the audience, bringing things full circle for the family. You know, Chipper, what was that day like for you and your family? And I, I don't know how you don't cry through a speech. I don't even know how you made it through your speech.
1: Well, um, you know, as you were saying all that, I, you can't measure the goosebumps on my arm or the yardstick. It's, um, I still can't believe it. I I think every year that I go back, they're going to take my plaque down, take my seat away at the members dinner. You know, I'm just, I'm thankful that it's, you know, it's still there. Obviously getting to sit around, you know, at the, at the, um, members dinner, I, this, this is, this is the table. Okay. I've got Frank Thomas. I've got Ken Griffey Jr. I've got Eddie Murray. I've got Dave Winfield, Cal Ripken. Jim told me, and little old me from Pearson, Florida. You know, so to say that that every time I walk in that room, my my jaw drops to the ground. I still can't believe that uh, that I'm part of that fraternity, um, but I'm certainly. I'm certainly going to take advantage of every opportunity I can to to soak up as much as I can from those guys. It's just a, it's an awesome, awesome experience.
0: You know, you are baseball thrown through 19 years with one organization, a hall of famer, all these great numbers we talked about. Uh, I wonder would you play this year under the current set of circumstances with the pandemic?
1: I think every guy is different. Um, I would certainly have pause for concern. Um, my my parents are both seventy years old. They live on property um, with me here. I have seven boys. Like I said, I'm not really all that worried about their the boys, as you know, and that their their immune system can fight you know this this, this virus off. But my dad is you know hasn't been doing well for for quite some time. My mom's strong as strong as an ox, but um, it would give me pause for concern. Uh, going in. It would have to be a conversation, a a family huddle, if you will, um, that was made by not just me, but by everybody. So I can certainly see, I don't hold any grudges against somebody who opts out. That is their decision. We have no idea what it's like to walk around in their shoes around their family. So um, yeah, I would, as much as I love to play, I would probably sit here and say um that I would want to play but probably opt out to be honest with you right now
0: you're a great player I mean 19 years uh you played in the steroid era mm-hmm. and I read in your book where you talked about you contemplated going down that road but your first wife talked you out of it mm-hmm. and thankfully she did I mean and and look at where you are today because of it um do you hold any grudges against some of the players that are believed to have used steroids and do you believe that those players should be allowed into the Hall of Fame?
1: I don't believe they should be allowed into the Hall of Fame. Um, I don't hold any grudges. Like I said, you make your own decisions. Um, I, I just hate that, like some of the greatest players of my era, you know, and I will say this, you know, to the day I die. Barry Bonds is the single greatest baseball player that I have ever seen don a baseball uniform. And quite honestly, there isn't a close second. Like there are major league baseball all-stars and then there's the galactic all-stars and Barry Bonds is the MVP of the galactic all-stars. He's just a man amongst boys, Roger Clemens, you know, uh, probably rivaled only by Greg Maddox in our era. Um, uh, as one of the greatest pitchers, you got an Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez. We're talking about all-time great players, and it just seems like so many of the guys in my era have that cloud, that suspicion, you know, hanging over their heads. And it's a shame because I feel like they they could be immortalized without a doubt in Cooperstown. And so, and you know, that cloud is. Probably in some of their cases, going to keep them out. And that's a shame because they were such wonderful players.
0: Well, you were a wonderful player and a wonderful guest, Chipper. I appreciate you coming on today. And for all of you out there watching on Boomer and I'll see you again soon right here on Game Time. I read a story, and tell me if it's true or not. Your dad busted you inside one time with a tennis ball so you wouldn't step into the bucket. Is that true? He
1: knocked a tooth out. He
0: did. <laughs> he knocked
1: tooth out.